Welcome to the Pencils and Lipstick Podcast, a weekly podcast for writers. Grab a cup of coffee, perhaps some paper and pen, and enjoy an interview with an author, a chat with a writing tool creator, perhaps a conversation with an editor or other publishing expert, as well as Kat's thoughts on writing and her own creative journey. You'll laugh, you'll cry, well, hopefully not actually cry, but you will probably learn something. And I hope you'll be inspired to write. Because as I always say, you have a story. You should write it down. This is Pencils and Lipstick. Are you ready to get happier, healthier, and more productive with your writing? Check out this week's sponsor from my friend Stacy Juba. Her online course, Time Management Blueprint for Writers, Transform Your Life and Finish Your Book is going to revolutionize your writing life. This self-paced, comprehensive course will guide you through the process of organizing your life one step at a time so that you can become healthier and happier while boosting your creativity and productivity. Although it's geared towards writers, any creative can benefit from this in-depth course. Through a series of engaging written lessons and short video tutorials that get straight to the point, you'll assess your life in four key areas, electronic clutter, external clutter, internal clutter, and the logistics of getting things done. Stacy, a fiction author, longtime journalist, and freelance developmental editor will cover her four-step framework to maximize your productivity. Topics include tackling email and social media, organizing your digital files and bookmarks, automating routine tasks, decluttering your home and setting up an inspiring work or writing environment, unwinding, improving focus and getting into a flow state, handling distractions and interruptions, prioritizing, planning and breaking down goals into manageable steps, mastering your calendar, pushing through creative blocks and setbacks, deciding which devices and writing apps to use, and nailing your work or other work sessions. If you're ready to stop spinning your wheels and reclaim control, then Time Management Blueprint for Writers Transform Your Life and Finish Your Book is the perfect tool for you. You can check it out, the link below in the show notes. Hello everyone and welcome to Pencils and Lipstick. This is episode 153. Yes, I can't believe it. We are well into October. This is dropping October 24th. Um, Happy birthday to me, y'all. I'm not going to tell you my age, but as my second daughter would say, it's old. (laughs) It's very, very old. (laughs) I am an 80s child. So that is like, you know, the ancient of days, according to my children. But today I have a really great Um, interview coming up for you guys with Lewis Georgestead. He might be known to some of you and might not be known to others. I found him through the um, back to school bundle that I did with Stacey Juba and Emma Desi. Um, He has some really great resources for writers. So I'm excited for you to hear about how he became a book coach and how he helps writers. Like we really get into what would you do if a writer, you know, had this issue. And I think he had some really great answers on how he helps writers, you know, see past (laughs) the problems in their manuscript, how he works with them. Um, And then we talk about his free resources and his books. So I want to encourage you as you listen to this or afterwards to click on the show notes, the links in the show notes below, um, or you can head on over to the novelsmithy.com forward slash library. Just Lewis has a lot of free resources. If you guys are thinking about doing NaNoWriMo and participating in NaNoWriMo, um, it's great if you already have a story idea. Um, You might be getting really excited because it's happening very soon in about a week's time. But I want you to have a good experience in NaNoWriMo. I have this sort of love-hate relationship with the idea. Um, First of all, I can't believe it's in November (laughs) because personally that month doesn't work for me. Um, So it's all about me, guys. 
Now, but NaNoWriMo is a great idea. It's a great way to, you know, encourage people who have been tossing around the idea of writing a book for a while to encourage them to sit down and, you know, be with other people and sort of get them to to write those words. Now, 50,000 words in a month, it's possible, but it, it's work. And what's worse, <laughs> what the, the bad thing about NaNoWriMo is that if you just sort of have a story idea, or a character idea or like a scene idea in your head and you just start writing, you're probably going to find that you're going to run out of steam. You're going to run out of story idea. You're just going to run into a brick wall (laughs) or fall off the cliff at some point, or you'll push through and you'll get 50,000 words and it won't really be a story. And I don't want you guys to get to that point. Like there is no reason to push and push and push writing every day. If you don't know what you're writing, if you don't know what the story is. And so in this interview, we talk about like the intersections between plot points and character arc. And I think Lewis has some really good insight on how that should be working. And I know that as writers, we like to not be analytical and we like to be very, you know, artsy. Um, But there is a sort of science behind storytelling. There is, um, there is a way to make sure your story has everything that it needs to be a viral story. I mean, the stories that stick with us through the ages have this sort of formula to them. And whether you like it or not, they're the stories that stick in our brains. And so they might not be the most innovative, you know, as far as writing craft goes, but they are the stories that get passed around and bought and talked about and people can't put down and they make movies out of them. Right. So if that's the kind of writer that you want to be, um, you need to know how your plot points should intersect with your character arcs and that your character needs an arc, that your character needs to change. And we talk about a lot of that in the interview, but of course it's only, you know, 48 minutes long or something like that. So you, if you want more of that, if if you want resources before you head into nano, or if you want to have them in case you get stuck in nano, I highly suggest you go and check out Lewis George Set's um, library. So it's thewritingsmithy.com forward slash library. And I have checked out his books and I recommend them. I think that they're pretty, pretty good, honestly. Um, They're pretty easy to get through, to read. They're easy to understand. They're easy to um, put into you know, motion on your manuscript. And you know me, I'm not a big plotter. I'm kind of trying to form my own way of plotting. Um, But I do, I even like his outline book. And I think it's pretty easy to use, uh, especially as a new writer. I kind of wish that I had had it. I think that it would have helped me um, get to my story quicker. Now, if you don't know, it took me about four years to write that story. And that goes a lot into, you know, what was happening in my life at the time. I was moving across the Atlantic and I had babies and, you know, babies being born and all that. So of course life gets in the way, but life is always going to get in the way. And I think if we can um, find our way of outlining or having the story, you know, concept written down, whatever that looks like for you, um, be thinking about it in a certain way, be thinking about having your character arcs and your plot points feeding off of each other. Like I didn't know that um, 10 years ago when I started really being serious about writing. And so I think what Lewis is doing is bringing you the resources and the knowledge um, ASAP, you know, try to get it there so that you don't take four years to write your novel. Or if you have written a couple novels and it's taking you longer, you know, maybe this will help you get a little shorter. Now, I don't, I'm not an advocate for, you know, rapid releasing or anything like that. So please hear me. But um, of course, we all don't 
want to get stuck. <laughs> None of us want to get stuck, let's say, on our novel and have it just sit there for a while. We want to get it done. And we want to get it out into the world. And there's no like timeline. <laughs> you know, you don't have to get this done now. And he, you know, he calls it the um, the 10 day um, writer's book. Let's see, the 10 day novelist series. But as he says in the interview, you know, each day can, you can take a week for it. You can take a month. This is really up to you. This is just the title, but it is possible um, to break all of what Lewis knows up into sort of 10 steps. Um, so he has the 10 day outline, the 10 day draft, the 10 day edit, which you might need after nano, right? Because uh, there's not a lot of time to edit during nano. So if you are going to participate in NaNo, um, let me know. I'd love to hear about what your experience is with them. Some people do really well. Some people have an okay experience. You know, it all depends on what happens in your life, uh, what happens in the story, right? But I'd love to hear about it. You can tweet me on Pencils Lipstick on Twitter. Um, I'll listen if you just need to like <gasps> vent or get something off your chest or you need if you have a question about a character or anything, let me know um, and I'll try to answer what I can. I am signing up for Nano, but, you know, as I said, it's a, it's a really difficult month for me to like get 50,000 words down, but I like to use I like to use the energy, I guess, you know, and sort of work off of that energy. At the moment, um, I keep going through um, the the book that has no title, as as usual, you know. <laughs> My books never have titles. Um, so Dowser's story, I am sort of developing Carmen a little bit more, uh, you know, sort of having her reactions. And I've realized, you know, something, an idea that I had at the beginning isn't really going to work Um so anyway, and I'm trying to find different literature from Spain. And what's interesting, whenever you do your research, so I don't know if you guys know, but I'm I'm sort of stuck in the 1830s because of decisions I made with stepping across the desert. And stepping across the desert, I chose the 1830s because in 1832, England abolished slavery in their colonies. And so it tied in really well with the storyline. Um, it sort of gave Kristoff, you know, something to do in the House of Lords. It just, it, it ended up being a, a lesser point of the book, but it's still there. Um, so, you know, when the book was 140,000 words, it was a bigger point of the book. And then of course I cut that down because we have to. Um, so I'm kind of stuck in the 1830s and it's working out well because Spain had the Carlos Wars, the first Carlos Wars. And unfortunately Spain was just rocked with a lot of wars in the early 19th century. And as I try to find literature for Carmen, you know, to be reading or for her made to be reading to her, for her to sort of teach her, um, to teach Philip Doser, <laughs> there wasn't a lot, which is interesting because they had so many wars and there was a, sort of this battle between um, liberalism, which is sort of moving away from the, the monarchy, right, where the monarchy had all this power. And they didn't move away completely, but it was like liberalism at its in its baby steps, you know, trying to give more power to the middle class, having a middle class, you know, giving more power to the workers, having sort of civil rights enacted then. And so there was there were all these wars, the French sort of tried to take over Spain, and Spain because of that was kind of behind in that. And a lot of people who were writing literature um, and were more liberal, of course, sort of fled the country and went elsewhere. And so, I'm, you know, I'm learning all of this, of course, as I go look for like, what book can she reference, you know, and all these things to just sort of give little, um, little details to the story. And so I'm going to have to allow her to speak English and French a little bit more than I thought at first, um, which I'm not sure is super historically accurate. I'm not sure how many people in Spain spoke English, but of course, England was becoming bigger at that point. Um, and French was always like the bourgeoisie, you know, uh, language that people would 
would speak. So I, I'll have that as well. But it's just interesting. It's these little things that you have to end up changing where the plot point of her not understanding something because she doesn't speak the, the language well, that had to be tossed out the window, you know? <laughs> so it's just all these little things change. But honestly, I am about two thirds of the way through it. And um, I'm quite pleased with how it's coming. Of course, I still need a title. Um, and coming up on the 30th, I'm going to be doing a, uh, book fair. So I'll probably have a report on that in the, the week afterwards. I probably won't get the report done for the podcast that drops on the 31st. That will probably be a different intro, but I'll, I'll definitely give you, um, thoughts on, well, it's not a book fair. It's like an art and craft fair. Um, but just like the last one, I'll give you sort of my thoughts on it and, you know, good and bad and pros and cons. And, you know, we'll see. We'll see if my opinion changes. <laughs> I'm still trying to stay optimistic, y'all. Um, so it is, as I said, my birthday. And so I have a little um, present for you guys. Yeah, we're doing reverse birthday. So I recorded it in a different thing. So I will let you know about that. Um, instead of a sponsor this week, I'm going to tell you about my journals and give you a certain offer, a birthday offer just for my listeners. So coming up in November and December, we're going to have quite a few different interviews. Um, we'll be talking about editing and book covers and all that. Um, as you go through NaNo, you might be too tired to listen to the podcast, but know that we will still be here. I will still be dropping all throughout NaNoWriMo, um, trying to give you inspiration and possibly a brain break as you write. So if you like the show, please be sure to share it with others. Um, I am surprised. I'm not really surprised because I don't do enough marketing on the show, but um, there's so many people in the world and so many writers in the world and they don't know about the podcast. And so, as I said before, the book fair that I was part of, no one except for two people had heard of me. Now, I was also, I was very pleased about the two people who had heard of me. I, that, that, you know, I rode that high for like two weeks. <laughs> so it doesn't take much to please me. But if you like the, the podcast, um, and Lanisha, I'll just you know, shout you out already. <laughs> Lanisha and um, Amy knew, knew me. So anyway, go back and listen to last week's po uh, podcast and you'll find out about that. Um, so I was pleased to hear that. But if you guys uh, like the podcast, please share it with other people. Um, that would help me tremendously. Just, you know, tweet about it or Facebook about it, post it on Facebook, whatever. They haven't made that into a verb yet, right? Um, share it on Instagram or if you're on TikTok, which I am not, but or whatever you use to talk to other people, I would very much appreciate it. And whichever app you use to listen to the show, if you would give a review, that would help on all the algorithms as well. If you like seeing um, the videos of the people, if you want to see them, you can become a sponsor of the show at buymeacoffee.com and you get access to the videos. You can become a one-time donor or you can be, you know, have it subscription-based. It really helps me pay for my editor and um, my guy, Mark. So Christy's my editor and my social media and just VA helper, Mark, um, who helps me get everything out to you guys. The transcripts you can find at pencilsandlipstick.com. He's awesome about getting those out. But if you become a sponsor of the show or if you buy one of the products in the ad, that helps keep the show going. So without further ado, I'm going to intro Lewis George said for you and bring you his interview. Louis Georgestad is a developmental editor and writing craft author who teaches up-and-coming writers the skills they need to write their dream novels. His goal with thenovelsmithy.com is to help writers build a robust writing toolkit full of everything they need to create stellar casts, powerful plots, and amazing story worlds. Hello, everyone. 
Welcome back to Pencils and Lipstick. Today I have an interview with Louis Georgestead. Did I get that? You <laughs> did. You did. <laughs> I, I say this every time because so everybody's last name, I'm always trying to get it right. But thank you for coming on the show, Louis. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. I appreciate you having me. Yeah, I really appreciate you coming on because there's so much to talk about. Um, with all of the things that you have for writers. But before we get into that, would you just give us like a little intro of who Lewis is? Um, yeah, so I'm I'm Lewis Dorstead. You did great with my last name. <laughs> it's a complicated one. But um, I am a development, developmental editor and book coach, um, writer. I do all the things. Um, and my focus is really on helping up-and-coming writers sort of hone their writing skills so that they can write their dream novel, uh, hopefully without all the stress and overwhelm that normally comes with that process. Yes, yes. Because these days we can publish a book pretty easily, right? But that doesn't mm -hmm. mean that the writing process is any easier than it was yeah. 100 years ago. <laughs> Absolutely. So how did you get into this? Did you study writing in college or how did you stumble into being a book coach and developmental editor? I wanted to do this for a very long time, mm -hmm. but as I imagine a lot of people deal with, you know, I kind of went to college and I was like, well, if I'm going to spend all this money on a degree, it should be something I can make a living at. And at the time <laughs> I didn't feel like writing was a viable career for me. Right. Um, so I did the, the bad choice and I got a degree in um, history and political science. <laughs> Oh, fun. <laughs> and proceeded to graduate college and realize I couldn't, I couldn't get a job. <laughs> so I had somehow managed to, to dig myself into that hole. And so I kind of had this moment where I was like, okay, you know, I, I, I had opportunities that I could pursue. There were different office sort of jobs that I could take that I, I wasn't particularly excited about. Mm -hmm. And so I said, all right, well, you know, I'm, I'm in a position where I can take six months. Um, okay. to try to do the whole book coaching thing that I had been doing for friends and acquaintances that I had been okay. working on for a long time. I had just never really pursued it as a, something I could seriously spend a lot of time on. So well, I'll take six months. And if I can sort of make something out of it, maybe, maybe I can actually do that. And so ironically, the thing that I ended up not studying um, in college because I didn't think I could make a career out of it, ended up replacing the thing I studied in college <laughs> to make a career out of it. Yes, we But I'm happy it went that way. It, um, yeah. It's definitely a better fit for me. <laughs> I wonder if we should tell writers to take like an entrepreneurial course. Oh and... my gosh, yes, <laughs> absolutely. Because <laughs> like, we all end up getting a degree that none of us use, you know? <laughs> yeah. I actually uh, interviewed an author from Norway. No, mm. Finland. Oops, she's going to get mad. <laughs> from Finland. And she was like, yeah, I got a degree in nursing because everyone told me I couldn't make money from writing and I'm a terrible nurse. So <laughs> I need to like... Went back to writing. Like, oh, if only we had a coach that would tell us, just just oh, stick yeah. to the writing, right? <laughs> so you had already been helping people. How did you how did you become that person that people would come to and ask about their writing, about writing a novel? So I even though I wasn't really pursuing a degree in it, I did take a lot of sort of classes and elective stuff in um, writing and storytelling. Um, I took a couple acting courses, which I found I'm very bad on stage, but I enjoyed coaching the other people yeah. as they sort of worked on it. And through that, I kind of found myself stepping into mostly that kind of coaching or teaching role. Um, okay. And I really enjoyed it. And people sort of came to me for that. Um, and it really was just sort of a, it wasn't really on purpose at that stage. It was yeah. really just kind of um, working with friends and classmates and acquaintances. And then they would tell other people, oh, hey, you know, he really helped me with this. You might want to talk to him about, about whatever you're dealing with. Um, and it sort of slowly just kind of grew from there until I felt like, oh, maybe this is actually something that I could sort of do in a more focused, purposeful way versus just sure. sort of meeting with people for lunch and kind of helping them out, sure. which is what I had been doing up until then. Yeah, it gets casual until you realize you might need a contract sometimes. Yeah, starting <laughs> having sending people contracts was a big moment for me. <laughs> yeah, it's a big thing, right? Because you do sort of like this is the world where you do sort of help each other out, mm -hmm. but then you got to go into the full business mode, right? Yeah. Um. So you were you talk about in your bio like how um you really honed in on studying story. So like what mm -hmm. what is it about story? Like a lot of us think that we can write. And a lot of us, you know, if you're a writer, you have, 
an affinity for writing, you'll enjoy it. But there is something sometimes about story that really gets us stuck. Like we have maybe a character or a plot and then we all get stuck in the middle. And like how many people have like a half manuscript shoved somewhere. Shoved somewhere in a corner, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so I mean, that goes back even farther. Okay. Um, so I have been, and I feel like most, a lot of writers can say this, like, I've been writing since I was a child. Yeah. Those early, early stories were sort of rough around the edges, to say the least. But um, I, when I first started to try to write a novel, like a full length novel of my own, I did it with Nano. And I got about halfway through Nano and just sort of hit this brick wall where it kind of forced me to stop and like, look at what I had written and be like, oh, this is absolutely terrible. And it was this really stressful moment because I was like, I really yeah. love stories. I was a, was and am a voracious reader. I wanted to do this so badly. And then that feeling of like, I'm not capable of doing this was extremely crippling. And I put yeah. that, I still haven't revisited that manuscript, although I hope to one day. Um, you know, I put that away for a, a while at that point and just sort of stewed over it and then went to college and sort of started to come into my own a little bit and stopped and looked at it again. And I had sort of changed my mindset at that point. It was mm. less of, oh, well, I couldn't do it this time. Therefore, I cannot do it ever. And it became, right. well, just like I can learn, you know, about Asian history during the Cold War, which is what I was studying for my degree, I can also learn how to write a novel. It's the same right. principle. Right. It's talent. Something that I really struggled with early on was the idea that like you have to be talented. Mm -hmm. to, to do these things. And if you, if you aren't innately talented, you can't do it, which is absolute nonsense. I've, right. I've come to learn um, talent is something, is something you teach yourself. Yeah. And so I ended up, I mean, just dug in my heels and like all of my sort of academic brain. I'm a very like organizationally minded, like process minded person. So I sat down and I, I read every book I could get my hands on, um, met with every person who would give me the time of day. Um, and just sort of absorbed everything that I could. And in the process, I initially got very overwhelmed because mm -hmm. there's a lot out there. Like you said, like character development, plot, that's just sort of the surface level. Then you get into pacing and world building and genre yeah. expectations and, you know, prose. It's just, it's a massive undertaking. And I was incredibly overwhelmed by that. But I think fortunately, I'm an incredibly stubborn person, which is was good in this instance. <laughs> But I'm also very process oriented. And so I okay. said, okay, well, this is all a lot to deal with. So how can I turn this into something useful for myself? Right. And I was able to kind of develop a, well, okay, I'm going to focus on this first. And then I can kind of deal with this and sort of going down the chain until I was able to develop a really solid understanding of the stories that I was working on. And then that's when I started to sort of be able to help other people with that. Right. Um, cutting through that overwhelm was a very big turning point for sort of me as a writer. Um, yeah, for sure. I, I think that overwhelm is a real thing. Like when you stop and you realize you have um, a problem in your story, like that happened to me this year. And I've been, I took sort of time last year to revisit storytelling and just sort of like, I read the science of storytelling, you know, mm -hmm. I was fascinated by, it is true. There is like, there is a certain thing about a good story, you know, and trying to grasp that. And the overwhelm got real for a while because I was like, am I even doing this? I don't mm -hmm. even know. <laughs> like, Because if you don't have a process that you start, I started questioning if I even know what I'm doing at that point, <laughs> you know, I sort of spiral down. So what is it, do you think, or what have you seen maybe being the top things that really get people stuck on that storytelling if they, if they start with a character, start with a scene or a plot, and, they, and mm -hmm. then they just can't really get forward? That's a good question because I think it somewhat depends on the writer. Um, I've worked with some writers who I find they're so emotionally attached to what they think their story will be that they don't see what it is. Like they're not seeing what they're writing. They're seeing what they want to write. And so they know it's not working, but they can't see past it to see why. And so when I kind of come in, it's initially this big battle of like X, Y, and Z isn't working. And here's sort of what I recommend. And they're like, no, like it is working because this is how I'm seeing it. And I'm like, but you're not seeing what's on the page. That's interesting. That's a big deal. Right? Yeah. That's well, a we lot get, of people. 
Yeah, we get so emotionally attached to our stories. And I'm not trying to like shame those writers in any way. I don't think that's an unusual problem to have. And it's a really emotionally difficult one. Yeah. But I do think it's it's very true that like writers are so close to the page that they can't see the forest for the trees. Like yeah. they're so in it that it can be hard. You know, I find that people will get overwhelmed with really minute craft things, which are important. But kind of like what I said about process, there's a time and a place. So okay. I'll be working with writers who are still halfway through their first draft and they're obsessing over like um, sentence structure and settings and and POV to an extent. And all of those things are important. But at the same time, they also are really struggling with like story structure and character development, like really foundational stuff. And so they're kind of trying to change everything at once and therefore are not effectively changing yeah, or not improving anywhere. Yeah, that's yeah. like the hamster wheel, right? You're exactly. almost like you keep going down to the sentence structure. I wonder if that's because we're avoiding the like climax, like getting to, you know, the climax and the denouement or what, you know, the mm -hmm. afterwards and to the end, like maybe we're afraid that it's because I think you're right. We know in our gut something's not working. And mm -hmm. if you don't know, if you can't put your finger on what it is, might as well just make sure that your sentences are really good. <laughs> yeah, might as, make sure, might as well make sure it sounds really good, even though the story is not working. Um, yeah. And yeah, I think it's an emotional thing at its core. Like that's okay. really hard to that's really hard to address. Like there's a lot of like ego and identity wrapped up in that and like recognizing it's not working can be really difficult. Um, so then what do you important. do with them? Like how you just sort of hold their hand while they take a deep breath. I mean, do you usually have to go back and rewrite everything? Do you find, mm -hmm. or, I mean, I find a lot of people find that really difficult to like say, mm -hmm. okay, I wrote all these words um, and maybe now that you have the story better in your head, it might be time to toss that and start over, which is something I did this year. And every time I say that, all the writers are like, <gasps> <You Yeah. know? laughs> which I get, but you know, it's like my fifth novel. And so I knew that if I would just do it, it would come better, you know? So what, do, what have you found when working with people when we're so emotionally attached? And I, I think it's interesting that you said they they think they're writing the story mm -hmm. that's not getting onto the page. That that's a big point too. So how do how do you get them to do that? So I yeah, I, kind of what you said about rewrites is a big part of it, and that is always a difficult conversation to have. Mm. Um, I I try to be a very sort of accommodating and like gentle with my critiques because like. I, I, you know, again, like I said, like writing. writing a novel, it's very emotional. Like I'm yeah. not here to hurt anybody or make that more difficult for them. It's already stressful enough, but I am sort of like a tough love to some extent person mm -hmm. where like, I'll set my stake in the sand and like, no matter how many times they're like, no, I don't agree. I was just like, no, this is, I've set yeah. the wall. You either have to climb over it or you're just going to keep knocking your head into it. Um, so a lot of times if people are still on their first draft, when they come to me, um, I'll basically sort of draw a line in the sand, like everything before this point, we're just not going to worry about right now. We'll mm. come back to it. But from here on out, we're going to improve. And I'll, I'll just, every time we talk, I'll sort of push them and push them on one topic until it kind of clicks in their brain. Because I think Interesting. it's, you know, because we're so attached to it emotionally, you can hear that, um, that a specific topic is important. You know, you can hear someone tell you that your character's arc is really not coming through. We need them to be more active on the page. And you can understand what that person's saying. And you can even accept that that you think they're right. But for that to click in your brain and for you to say, oh, I understand what I'm missing here is a totally right. different thing. And yeah. there's something with repetition to that. You know, you just kind of keep every time you just get a little bit farther. And then all of a sudden, it's like the floodgates open. You're like, I understand now. Right. And so getting people to that point with a lot of key issues is a big part of first drafts. But if I get someone, you know, once we get to their second draft, it's okay. You've made a lot of improvements. Now it's time to scrap it and rewrite the entire thing. And that's yeah. a difficult conversation, but it's not, it's not so much scrapping it. Like we're going to throw away everything you've accomplished. It's right. I want you to pull up two documents with your original draft and a blank document. And I want you to rewrite it word for word. 
because as you're rewriting it, you'll realize, oh, this doesn't sound right, does it? I can fix that. And you can kind of go through, but you still get to keep all the stuff that really works. So it's not as overwhelming as it sounds, but it does sound very overwhelming. Well, that that's an interesting way to do it, though, because you, yeah, you're not getting bogged down in the, like, the line by line thing, because mm-hmm. I always tell people to sort of pull it up on a Kindle or something and read chapter mm-hmm. by chapter, because that way you don't, you're not tempted to be like, oh, it sh- I shouldn't have a was in there. And like, mm-hmm. who cares? What we're looking at right now is like, is there, is this scene needed? <laughs> like, mm-hmm. is anything happening there? So that's an interesting point to like rewrite it. And there are writers out there that write the first draft by hand, and then they mm-hmm. obviously have to go in and retype it. Right. So I'm, I'm sure. Yeah, that that's a, a good opportunity that. for that, for that rewrite. Um, Kind of, uh, something you said about like scenes, like does the scene even need to be here? Mm-hmm. Um, something I also often do with writers who like have some bigger structural problems is what I call a reverse outline. Okay. Um, I think a lot of writers are familiar with the concept of outlining. Um, even total pantsers who are very anti-outline yeah. at least know kind of what it is. Um, and a reverse outline is basically that process, but with an existing draft. So instead of kind of like what I said, where it's hard to see what's actually on the page, a reverse outline is where you go through your finished manuscript, your finished draft, and you outline it as if you were outlining a new story, but you're outlining it based on what you're finding on the page. So, you know, these are my characters. This is actually what they do and how they change. And you might write next to one of them, no change. Like the change I thought I was creating is not here. You know, same with your scenes, you go through and catalog like, okay, these are sort of my my bird's eye view of my scenes. And this is what happens and this is what role they serve in the story. Um, and then you can kind of make better judgment calls about, oh, you know, this scene that maybe I'm really emotionally attached to is not serving the story. So either I have to change the story to fit the scene or I have to change the scene to fit the story. Oh, um, yeah. And so, yeah, it's it's kind of an intensive process, but it, it tends to lead to a lot of really big breakthroughs because you you see your story so much more clearly um, than when you're writing it through that process. Yeah. yeah, of course. I mean, it is interesting how when you're writing, you can see the characters in your brain doing all mm-hmm. these things. Mm-hmm. And of course, you don't want to say every little detail that they're doing because that's a no-no. And so then sometimes you think you tell a reader what they're doing and you're not doing <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> they're all confused it's it's a lot harder i think to write a novel than what we give credit for really like oh it's... yeah i mean you're creating like the the best novels you know the ones that really like light up readers that readers just remember you're creating an entire world you're creating people that feel real in a world that feels real with events that feel real but it's all sleight of hand because it's not real you know, even memoir, I would argue, isn't real because it is it is someone's account of events. And there's right. always different perspectives of, of every part. But for genre fiction, especially like it's not real. And so it's all about sort of like striking that balance of like, because, for instance, what I said just there, like it's about striking that balance of, of like, you know, you don't write that when you're writing dialogue. Mm-hmm. You true. would just get to the point. But you're trying to create the feeling of this real world. That's so complicated. That's so difficult. Um, it, it is, it's absolutely a, it's a big undertaking. Yeah. Um, finding ways to make that easier is, is always worth it. Yes. And just because we read a lot, like it's, it's a funny, it's a funny thing to grasp, like good storytelling, right? Mm-hmm. It has changed over the centuries. It changes um, per culture and what somebody thinks is great storytelling might not be what another person thinks is great storytelling. But what really, like, what every good story has is a good character, right? A character that changes in some way or grows or has that sort of character arc. So how how do you help people when, I mean, I don't know about you, I've seen a lot where, like, the char- the the first draft, a writer, isn't really in tune with their character like that feels very far away you know and maybe that's because they don't know their character do you think or like how do you get them so that they can really bring that reader in so close that they don't want to put the book down because they can't wait to see what this guy this guy or girl or whoever is going to do next 
I so most of what I do with writers is very like story oriented. So mm-hmm. I don't usually get into a lot of like line editing and sort of sentence oh, structure of and prose. I think that there are a ton of techniques like on the prose level that can pull readers in closer. But I think on the story level, on like a more core level, kind of like what you said, um, character arcs are a big part of that. And I think I've worked with a lot of writers who kind of balk at that idea. They're like, I don't want this like structured arc. And I'm like, but you need this structured arc. (laughs) Like um, it's, you know, because again, like I said, you're trying to create a feeling of a real person in shorthand and real people change. Um, This is something Cam Wyland, who I'm sure a lot of writers are familiar with, talks about. um, She did, I think, a whole series on like how character arcs mimic real life and how you can learn about yourself through the characters that you write. Um, And so I tend to talk to writers about their characters in terms of like, you know, both sort of where do they start and where do they end? Like on the big mm. picture, who are they at the beginning of your story and who are the are they at the end? And how can you make that difference more stark? Like how can you punch up that difference and make that more impactful? And then sort of understanding why they, you know, why they experienced that change. Um, I talk about something I call the four crossroads. And it's kind of both a plot structure and a character arc thing. But in terms of character arcs, your protagonist will or should reach four different crossroads throughout your story where they have the opportunity to make a major decision. And the decision they make tells readers who who they are at that point in the story. So, you know, at the beginning, they make a decision usually aligned with some kind of harmful belief they have about themselves or their world. Um, towards the middle of your story, they have started to recognize that maybe that belief is wrong. And so they make a different kind of decision, but they haven't really worked through that yet. Their third decision is um, almost always a a step backwards. And so they fail, they make the wrong choice, again, because of that sort of harmful belief they have, and they're punished for it. And then that provides them the opportunity to let go of that harmful belief once and for all. And if they accomplish that successfully, they have a a final sort of key crossroad that they make where they make the right decision and they're able to overcome the conflict of their story and sort of cement their growth as a person. And sort of those four hops throughout their story as they make these different decisions are signals to the reader saying, this is who this person is now and this is how they're changing. and that sense of change is incredibly cathartic and satisfying as a reader. Right. And it's also helpful as a writer because it gives you some signposts to kind of work towards. It's not, I need to create this arc where my character goes from here to here, you know, from A to B. But like what happens in the middle, I have no idea. Instead, it's I need to get my character from A to Z and I know all the letters in between. I can kind of get them down right. that road. Right. So, but I think the the hardest thing for writers when you say that, like it makes mm-hmm. sense, but then they go super psychological on you. Have you ever? Yeah, had this I have definitely. Had, I'm <laughs> prone to that myself. So I'll. Me too. I, but I think this is a sympathy. writer thing. They're like, okay, so they're going to realize that the deep dark secret. You're like, no. Yeah. <laughs> you just need like so trying to trying to get them to believe. So I I'll use this as an example. I read this book. In fact, I didn't even finish it because the main character. I'm pretty sure the arc was supposed to be like, it's okay to find love again after Mm. her husband died, but she was so good and nice to everyone Mm -hmm. all the time. Even the crazy mom who didn't really deserve it from all the things. And like the best friend that kept, Oh, she's crazy. And she abandons us constantly, but we love her. You know, like Mm -hmm. there was, I, even by halfway through the middle, I couldn't see any change in this person telling the story. You're like, but you're the one whose husband died. Like, I'm hoping that you find love, you know, like, I don't understand what's happening here. So I think that 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 can happen, right? A lot of times where we almost have our side characters, like have things happen to the main character. But if the main character doesn't have a real problem in the beginning, there's Mm -hmm. no like change at the end. It doesn't make any sense, right? So then you have that happening. But then when you tell the author this, they have to have a, a mindset shift. They're like... 
their mindset. Okay. And they get really woo woo about it. (laughs) (laughs) So how do you, how do you handle us writers when we're like, we start going through our psychology 101 books and trying to find, you know, the worldview that kids damaged our main character. (laughs) (laughs) Just going to quietly hide my psychology 101 book in the corner. Um, Yeah, I think it's, so I mentioned the sort of the four crossroads Mm -hmm. and part of why I said that they're both a character thing and a plot thing is that the way I teach them is that the crossroads need to be a crossroad, both for your character where they can make it, they make a decision that, puts them down a different path, but it's also a crossroad where your character development and your plot intersect really clearly because the decisions they make need to be concrete, physical decisions with immediate consequences. So um, I'm going to pick on Mulan just because it's one of my favorite movies ever. And I use it as an example constantly. So it's easy for me to kind of like pull just uh, unprompted out of my brain. Hey, it's not Star Wars, which is used all the time. Which is the usual, yeah. (laughs) Although admittedly, I use Star Wars all the time. So I'm very guilty. Because it's a pretty good arc. I know. It's such a good arc. Um, But, you know, to pick on Mulan, I like using that as an example. But Disney movies tend to be really concrete. Like they hit all the beats at exactly the right time. So they're good teaching tools. Mm -hmm. Um, And so for Mulan's first crossroad, her harmful belief is that my worth is defined by my value to my family. Mm -hmm. Her whole psyche is wrapped up in like this belief that I have to be valuable to my family. What I want is not as important as what they expect of me. And so she's very cloistered in and she's clearly very unhappy. You know, so something else that I I like to talk to writers about is your character is going to go on on this arc, but why does that arc matter? Why do they need to undergo this arc? Okay. Um, And so that maybe kind of gets to the, you know, like her husband just died, but like, she seems fine. It's like, okay, why does she need to undergo this arc? Like, what is she, what is harming her current, her life that needs to be remedied? Um, And so for Milan, that, that is very much that like, she's being pushed into this sort of expectations in this society that she's incredibly unhappy in. Her intelligence is being completely ignored and she feels incredibly suffocated. And so she reaches her first crossroad where her decision is to disguise herself as a man, which in her society is, is valued mm-hmm. in order to be valuable to her family. And so that decision very much ties into this belief she has that her worth is defined by how valuable she is to her family. She's going about it in a weird way, in a way that's consistent with her personality, but that fundamentally is still that harmful belief. Mm-hmm. At the same time, though, it's a plot moment. Her, the core conflict of her story has sort of arisen. Her father is being drafted, who she loves very dearly and knows that he'll be killed. And so she, this, this intersection of her beliefs about herself and her world and the conflict of the plot of her story intersect where she disguises herself as a man to be valuable to her family. And in doing so runs away from home to join the army and like triggers that part of her plot. So it, it can't just be like a, the character has a realization in themselves where they're like, oh, I should love myself and everything is just over. They need to take action to show that to the reader. Yeah. You know, I I am changing or I am making decisions because I am doing this action. Right. Because if you ask Mulan in that moment, she probably would only use the excuse that she's going to save her dad. Like, exactly. you know, she doesn't yeah. know that really what she should do is yeah. love herself. <laughs> yeah. She has at that stage in the story, she has no concept of the like, of the lesson that she's going to end up learning. Mm -hmm. And that's what makes it really impactful at the end in her final crossroad, when she sort of presents herself as a woman and says, you will respect me or I will basically punish you. (laughs) Like, you know, she goes up to the leader of the Huns who is intent on killing her and he dismisses her. Oh, you're just some woman. And she's like, no, I'm the person who destroyed your entire army. You will respect me. Even though that puts her in direct in the direct line of fire And that's an incredibly impactful moment because you see how her decisions have changed Mm -hmm. and thus how she as a person has changed. But it's all built on this foundation of plot, of the action that she's taking and and what that says about her internally as a character. Oh, that's interesting. So do you think that um, when we're really like a writer that's really plot driven, Mm -hmm. do you think um, that's where maybe people kind of 
go wrong, I guess, when when they have like certain beats in the plot that they really, really want to hit. Mm-hmm. And they just haven't quite gotten a care like a character, like you said, has to have some sort of decision making and something along that. And I guess some people would call that just like the characters just reacting maybe to the mm-hmm. plot. Like it's they're not really developing. And that's kind of the clincher there that it's not really making an impact on them. Yeah, I think that's I would say that's true. I would actually argue that I'm more of a plot-driven writer, um, okay. like in my personal writing. So learning to sort of understand, you know, I'll I'll usually sort of lay out the rough picture of where I want my plot to go before I even really have a concept of my protagonist. That's okay. just kind of what clicks in my brain. Sure. Um, and so part of the sort of writing process that I've developed and the systems that I've sort of set up for myself and that I usually teach um, is sort of starting by just sort of creating your, your story summary. You know, what is, mm. what is your mental image of your story, whether that's character focused or plot focused right. um, really doesn't matter at that stage. And it's super rough and it's super messy. And it's just kind of, this is kind of what I think this is going to be. Sure. And then you go in and then you kind of have to get a little more analytical and say, okay, you know, who is my protagonist in this story? I Ident- you know, identifying who are some of my key characters and then saying, okay, I know who my key characters are. What decisions are they going to make in this story? How will that link up to the sort of rough plot that I'm thinking of? And then how can I solidify that into crossroads, into key events in the story? So, you know, it is sort of a character first approach, but I, think it's relatively adaptable um, since since I am sort of a plot focused writer that that like initial summary you create can really go either way and it kind of just gives you that baseline to work with as you then start to go and like click all the puzzle pieces together and say okay well how does this actually line up but you really need both it's um right you know and and I say this about genre fiction specifically because literary fiction is kind of its own animal (laughs) But for genre fiction specifically, you can't have just a character or just a plot. You need both because the way they interact is what makes for a really good story. Yeah, that's what's going to make people not not put the book down. Like I I have started to use Keep Breathing as an example of this, of like, if you haven't watched it, it's like a mini series on Netflix. And, you know, I always tell people my husband hated it, but he fell asleep (laughs) because he falls asleep all the time watching television. But that's that's one example that I love as a writer, because the plot, like getting lost in the woods can go in so many directions. Mm -hmm. Right. And the character is completely unlikable in her story. Nobody would care about Mm -hmm. until you stick her in the woods and she almost, you know, like okay, now we really kind of want her to survive because mm-hmm. <laughs> we kind of feel sympathetic. Like putting those two together actually made a pretty compelling and worth watching story, you know, mm-hmm. separate. It's like, I don't even care. <laughs> there are a million other things to watch on a million other subscription yeah. um, sites. So I think that's really interesting that you put that together. So when you... When you say like how you're coaching, you have a ton of resources that do you use the resources that you have you on your website, you have like this, all these free resources, which I think mm-hmm. is amazing. You have a couple books um, about plotting and like getting your book done in 10 days, which is also amazing. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about these things that you've put together specifically for writers to help them. Um, so yeah, I have I have a lot of free sort of articles and I have a free resource library with workbooks and um, templates and, and things on my website. And then I have the 10-day series and I have another series of books that's the Writer's Craft series. Wow. Um, the 10-day series, yeah, it's very much a, it was very much part of me figuring out my writing process mm-hmm. that that series is very much the writing process that I use now, um, where it's it's all about sort of breaking breaking up that overwhelm by okay. saying I'm going to follow these steps in this very clear order, and it'll get me where I need to go. Yeah. Um, and at each stage of the writing process, so from outlining, I think I go all the way to publishing. Um, and I try to make those books kind of adaptable. Um, for instance, a lot of people see the 10-day draft, which is about writing your first draft in 10 days. And they go, 
no, <laughs> I, I will not. <laughs> which, yeah, we got nano. Like, <laughs> yeah, we got nano. Um, which I get, you know, it's it's that's not necessarily realistic for everybody simply due to time. But would that and, be because they've done the ten day outline? You know, are they is is this like a stepping stone series, or do you do it all together? Yeah. So the um. Each book sort of leads into the next, okay. but I try to write them in such a way that people can jump in wherever they are in the process. Sure. Um, for instance, I have a lot of writers I work with that read the 10 day edit, which is about sort of revising your novel in 10 days. Although there are sort of breaks in that one, because realistically, I have no idea how much editing someone's going to need to do. So it's about sort of developing your yeah. editing plan. Sure. And then you pause and edit and then come back and there's another set of days where you sort of go back in and refine that. Sure. But I've had a lot of writers read that and none of my other books and then come to me and work with me. I'm like, oh, yeah. So when I talk about this in the 10 day outline, they're like, I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> I never read that. So so they're designed to sort of jump in wherever, but they sure. do build off each other. OK. But for the 10 day draft specifically, um, yeah, it's sort of if you have that baseline set, you have a really strong outline. And that's something I talk about at the beginning of that book. Like, hey, if you haven't done this yet, you really should. Yeah. Um, you know, it's about breaking that first draft into 10 stages. You could do it in okay. days, you could do it in weeks, you could do it in months, whatever sort of feels like right it. for you. Yeah. But um, that way it's, again, sort of about cutting away that overwhelm. You're yeah. not just looking at the page and saying, well, I need to write something and I have an outline. So I kind of know what I need to write, but like, what, what should I expect from You're going to go to a coffee shop again. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, so it talks about like mindset, like what okay. mental hurdles will you probably face at this stage in your draft? Wow. Um, what are ways to deal with that? And where roughly should you kind of be in your story based okay. on sort of general pacing rules? Um, okay. Like towards the middle of that book, I talk a lot about like getting to the middle of your draft and like staring at it. Like I thought I had a really good plan for this, but it's just all sort of falling apart because that's when people's drafts start to just collapse on them. And how can you handle that? Because that's where I, at least a lot of my novels have died is yep. at that middle point. <laughs> And a lot of the writers I work with, their novels kind of die. Yeah, you're like, point. I'm 30,000 words and I'm not doing it. And anymore. I am lost. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> It's weird how that can happen. Yeah. All right. So you have that, which I think is amazing. I mean, can do pantsers sort of bulk at your 10-day outline? Or have you been able to convince people who claim that they are discovery writers to, to do the outline process? Um, I... <laughs> I actually recently ran a poll, um, like, what's your writing alignment? If you're familiar with, like, the D&D &D alignment charts, like, you know, chaotic neutral and lawful evil or whatever. And there's one for writing that's, like, you know, true planter, you know, chaotic plotter. <laughs> I'm a chaotic plotter. I write all my stuff on index cards and sort it on the wall because I'm in that case. But um, I'd say most of my audience are plotters of, of some level on the spectrum. But I do definitely have a few panthers that are, like, you know, I adapted this to what I need. Yeah. Um, and that's something I do talk about in the book is like, you can take this as far as you want, but I recommend as a baseline, you have, you know, X, Y, and Z, um, you know, know who your protagonist is, know your crossroads. And even if you know nothing else in between, at least you kind of have those big points to work towards. Yeah. So you don't just sort of wander off down a road that leads you nowhere which yes. is easy to do yes I do so. like that and I do like your reverse outline mm -hmm. uh, that you call it and it, that's really like okay fine go write as much as you want um but make sure that when you go back like it it's a straight mm -hmm. road down the story and not like going around the world so I've done I've done books different ways and I'm not the greatest plotter but mm -hmm. I'm trying. <laughs> well, check out the book. <laughs> I will check out the book. Not to I mean, steal because... my stuff, but. <laughs> I will check it out. But I think it is true, though. You either have it in your head. Like, I don't know that anyone's just a discovery writer where you're like, I'm mm -hmm. just going to sit down today and just write a book. Like, that's going to come out as who knows what. You mm -hmm. have some sort of what if or plot or something in your head that makes you think that there's a story there. Mm -hmm. You know, that's already the beginning of a plot. Like sometimes I will take a walk and record. This is what I want to have happen in the book. Mm -hmm. You know, this is what I see now. So that's some sort of a plot, you know, or some sort of an outline. It's not like I'm not just starting there. Once upon a time, there was this. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so yeah. then you have the writer's craft series as well. So we will have the links in the show notes as well. 
um, with your website and people can go find these. Um, you have write your hero and mastering character arcs. There you go. Yep. We, got, we got everything we need. <laughs> yeah. Um, and yeah, the, although I guess I should promise this now, but the third book in that series should be coming out sometime in the spring. Although with my track record, I'll get halfway through writing it and be like, I need more research. And I'll go off into the cave <laughs> for three months and then I'll pop back out. Like, I remember I promised this in the spring. Well, it's August 5th now. <laughs> but here it is. But here it is. So. Hey, you're doing the research for us, so that's awesome because <laughs> because it is true. You can go out and you can read. There's a lot of books out there, mm-hmm. and I recommend a couple different books to people. But the truth is, like you said, sometimes you, while you're reading, you're like, "Yes, I get it," and then you close the book and you're like, "Wait a minute, <laughs> what, what, what did I learn from this?" Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I I would assume like the ten day outline is sort of like book and workbook like is that kind of how all of them go like there are exercises for people to go through or do you have like um do you just do that in your coaching mm-hmm. or where do they find that sort of working it out yeah so the 10 day series is is especially task oriented okay um every chapter ends with a kind of a rundown of you know, by the end of today, you'll want to have accomplished X, Y, and Z. You know, you'll okay. want to have decided on your premise and picked a working title or whatever it, it yep. may be. Um, the Writer's Craft series is a little more flexible because it's it's just sort of about learning the craft. Yeah. Um, but I do try at the end of each chapter to have a um, sort of a like a key lesson section mm-hmm. that's, you know, based on everything you learn in this chapter, these are the key takeaways that I, I hope you got from this. And so it's usually four or five bullet points that are sort of what, what the major topics of this were. Um, which would at least, rec- sorry. Oh, okay. no, go for it. Would you recommend people uh, sort of pick these up uh, before they start writing or maybe in between, like keep refreshing, mm-hmm. you know, the, the hero course or the mastering the character arcs or do you, Whenever. I don't know. <laughs> Have you ever thought of when, when you would recommend it? I, that's a really good question. I think it depends on the writer. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, I think they'll know when it's time for them. Um, I know at least for me, when I first started writing, it was just sort of a, I, I knew so little that I didn't know what I didn't know. And so it was just sure. sort of me writing until I hit that first wall, you know, way back when and realized, oh, I actually really don't know as much as I think. And that's when I really dove in and started studying really aggressively. Um, so I think for a lot of people, you know, they'll hit that wall in their writing and say, oh, I'm missing something here. And for them, that could be their first draft. That could be during the editing process. That could be after their first rejection from an agent or their first bad review where they say, oh, I'm definitely missing something. And that's, it's that, I need to hone it's I need to hone my craft. I'm missing something right. when I usually tell people, well, you know, if you're struggling with character or um, write your heroes really about protagonists, multiple protagonists, how that all shapes your novel. If you're really sure. struggling with your protagonists, you know, that's that's a good time to look at that. So, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, just because we like telling stories doesn't mean it's still a talent that we have mm-hmm. to hone. Like you said, it's still, you know, no other art form claims that they can learn and do and be geniuses all by themselves yeah so exactly. we've got to change that mindset we've got to learn what, and you know know what we don't know and mm-hmm. go find help with people so that is awesome well thank you so much for coming on where can people find you um i'll have links in your in the show notes but tell us you know if people are listening where they can find you where they can contact you and find your books so i um mostly work on the so if you want to check out um, my articles, check out all my free resources, thenovelsmithy.com slash library is where you can sign up if you want to check out some of my free workbooks. Um, there are other places on the website, but that's the easiest place to find them. Sure. And if you want to sort of follow me and follow what I'm doing, um, getting on my newsletter is the place to be. Um, awesome. I don't email people, you know, constantly I email about once a week with new articles, or if I've got a new book coming up, I'll let people know. 
but that's definitely the, the place to stay in touch. Wonderful. All right. We will send people there. Um, so thank you so much, Lewis, for coming on and talking to us about character arc and storytelling. And we are all better for it. I think <laughs> That is high praise. My, my ego is through the roof. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, you're still listening. Since you are, could you do me a favor and head over to the app that you're listening to this episode on and hit the subscribe button and then rate and review the show? It would really help the Pencils of Lipstick podcast get out into the world. And if you're enjoying the podcast, well, then there might be more people out there who would enjoy it as well. If you want to find out more about me, you can head over to catcaldwell.com. I have my story over there, my books, my interactive journals, my one-on-one coaching information, and information on my creative writing community membership group. If you're looking to write a book or you are a writer and you just want to find out more about how to write, how to publish, how to format, how to market, and all the things that go into being an author these days, check out the membership group. There is a 14 free day trial that you can try it out, get into the masterminds, find out all the goodies that we are talking about in the group. I would love to see you there.